can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back. Happy Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month. Yes. I'm we- just going to say everything you say after it with like <laughs> an exclamation point. Oh, uh, So what's been going on? How was your last month? What What's up? What's Ugh, going on? I, I am the mayor of Burnt Out City. Mm, I, I feel that. I am over it in every single way. Like I like my job, but I'm just so tired. And also like my honeymoon's coming up at the end of the month. So I'm just like. You're Maybe like checked, checked out, out a little bit. It's too early. Do it's you, the beginning of March. Do you it's think some of it has to do like you've returned in person some or all the time? Uh, we're doing two days a week in person. Do which you think is that this, plays a role or? I mean, I have to get up and put on like actual pants and get on the train, which is getting very crowded and I don't like it. What time but, do you travel? Um, what are you, the FBI? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm the FBI. <laughs> I just want to know when the train's crowded. I, I, I leave my house like around eight so like by eight fifteen, i'm on okay, the platform yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's getting like real crowded and mm. i don't like it and it's just like oh i guess covid's all over we can now you know rub necks on the train ew, together ew, 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 ew. it's did i ever tell you about the time i bumped noses with this girl on no, the seven goodbye. train goodbye no it was How super be awkward close? because the seven train is hell the seven train is so full and, and i used to work in midtown the city yeah, that's when I worked in Midtown. And oh, okay. we I was standing sideways and she was standing forward. So the train stopped and we bumped noses. And I was just like, uh, uh, and she was like, well, this is super weird. She's like, I'm Jessica. And I was like, I'm Kim. Like, this is weird because like we've been so close. Now we've been intimate. And I mean, I don't know. Girl on the seven train. I think about you all the time. I hope you're listening. Hope you're listening. It was super weird. But like, I, I hate crowded trains but yeah. i'm like if i wait i'm gonna be late so listen i'll give you the flip side of that two days a week my first class starts at 7 50 a.m i leave the house at 6 15 oh jesus there's nobody on my train there, there you go that's how you do it i guess <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's not so crowded the other two days i i generally leave at like 7 30 mm. it's still not super crowded there's more people but I take the Q train, so yeah. it's, I think, in terms of getting into the city where you are, there's fewer options, and so it's yeah. more crowded. And there's, ugh, there's... Not that we're, like, we're definitely, like, locating ourselves. I'm like, I'm I like, take the Q train, but it's far from my house, people. You'll never find me. You'll... Oh, you might find me. I don't care. Put me in my misery. <laughs> ugh, no. Um, there is, like, two new apartment buildings coming up by me, and I'm just like, bitch, how... Like, mm. how are we all supposed to get on the train when these two buildings come? One is supposed to be 200 and something units and one is supposed to be 70 units. And I'm just Yikes. like, oh, my God, where are all these people going? Yeah. Like, I feel like new buildings, like, don't they have to do, like, some kind of, like, environmental, like, impact plan? Because, like, where are you putting these people? We're, we're all going to go to the same grocery store. We're all going to use the same pharmacy. Like, 
Well, depending on what kind of apartments they're putting in, those people might order their delivery and stuff. Like, oh, you know how they're... You they know they will. Right? Because it's a lot of that stuff is like condos and not yeah. housing for regular people. I don't know. Like, burnout at work and living in New York. I don't know. I'm just... I think it's like, I need to go on vacation. But it's like kind of sad to me that like, I have to live so hard for a vacation. Yeah. Like... Europeans, we wish we could oh, relate to my you. God. Yes. <laughs> Even just like a four day work week. And people oh. always saying, like, oh, you teach, you've got all this time off. Yeah, but I don't have any income during that time. It's not vacation. You can sit and think <laughs> about the cool things you'll do if they paid you more. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. I do think that going back to commuting and in person teaching, while I absolutely love the energy in mm-hmm. the classroom. It is tiring and it does take yeah. up two more hours of my day exactly. that I had while I was working at home, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of getting home in time for dinner or like, you know, if I get up at six o'clock and have to go to campus versus if I get up at six o'clock and I'm working from home, I can mm-hmm. start working at least an hour earlier. Yeah. You know? I think that that's not a thing that they thought about with like returning. Like, I know you like being in person but like I do I, with teaching yeah okay. I don't at all like the I dynamic, don't teach though the dynamic in the classroom is so different right mm-hmm. like the other day we did this activity in one of my classes and I call it speed date Q&A mm-hmm. so I set up nine students up against the wall and then nine students face them one-to-one and they mm-hmm. have a conversation I put up a question they answer the question they've got three minutes to talk about the topic time runs up the people against the wall stay where they are. Everyone else moves one seat. So they talk to like a handful of different people going through the questions and just listening to them talk to one another. I was so energized. Aww. Like, I guess I am an extrovert. <laughs> um, I'm an introvert. I'm an introverted ambivert? extrovert. Wait, what's that? Ambivert. It's like Ooh, you switch back and forth. Sometimes you get energy from being around people and sometimes... Yes. It's you need to be by yourself. An ambivert? Ambivert. Ambivert. Like ambidextrous. Oh, yeah. I guess that's what I am then. Because like I, for the most part, prefer to speak to nobody. But there's like a certain group of people that I'm just like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. But also like it's really draining. Like think I think I mentioned it to you. I might have talked about it on the podcast. I wanted to like murder you the the weekend of my wedding. (laughs) Like not just me, everyone, everyone. Everyone. But like you were doing like the talking thing you were just doing so much of it and i was like (laughs) i'm ready to go i need to be dropped off at my home i need to be by myself and Mm -hmm. like she's talking and she keeps doing it and i'm like i get it she's my friend she's talking to me about things that i like but i'm just like i will murder everyone in this car i was so done and then i had like a couple of hours just to be like by myself and chill and then i was better and then yeah i mean we're doing a podcast now so everything's fine folks don't worry yeah no i mean i'm good like but like even this people. weekend, even this weekend, we initially had plans like three days in a row and, mm. and we ended up canceling one of the days and it just feels like, okay, that's good. We need some yeah. time to like recoup. And I do like time by myself too, mm. but I don't know. There was just something so energizing about being in the classroom with the students yeah. that I, I really missed. Um, I have other news yes. not related to traveling and being around people mm-hmm. we got a new refrigerator i thought you were gonna be like we welcome the new addition to our family 
Yeah, no, there's, <laughs> there's not going to be any additions to this family. <laughs> it is an addition to the family. It's a quiet, quiet Oh, my fridge. gosh. It is gorgeous, y'all. It's really cute. I don't even know how to express. Like, I think we did a good job of of editing it out in the podcast. I hope it never came across, but it was loud. There were times when Kim was like, wait, is that in my headphones or is that your refrigerator? It's like, yeah, that was the fridge. It, it was just a slow rumble. It was like a space, a <laughs> spaceship. I mean, it served as a great white noise machine because <laughs> Sean and I sleep different hours. So like he could watch TV and mm-hmm. I would sleep and the fridge would just that's funny drown that's, it all out. That's not what a fridge should do. No, a fridge should <laughs> not do that. In fact, I'm thinking about if I need to get a white noise machine now that our <laughs> fridge is so quiet, but it hasn't been a problem so far. And if anything, I've loved how quiet it is. Like I can be in the kitchen. Sean can say something from the living room and I can hear him and understand his words and not just hear that he's talking. And I'm just in awe. It's fantastic. Are we old? Yes. (laughs) Facts. Welcome to our fridge talk. (laughs) Fridge talk. Fridges are the best. Listen, when you get into a refrigerator, you you write to us and you tell us. Especially if your freezer's on the bottom. I kind of wish ours had been because... I love it. It's a real game changer. Because of how short the fridge is. Mm -hmm. Um, That whole bending down. Yeah, and I have back problems and all that. That would have been nice. But listen, we didn't pick it out. We didn't pay for it. Mm. Sean did throw out an entire drawer full of vegetables. That was an accident. He... The delivery was between 7.30 and 10.30 a.m. And it was one of those days I had to leave at 6 a.m. for class. So he goes to bed at 4.30. He had to get up at 7 to empty the fridge. And in his delirium, forgot (laughs) to take the drawer of vegetables at the bottom out. Mm. And when they came and took the fridge, they just took the whole thing. And we lost a bunch of vegetables. I'm sure that was probably a weird surprise for someone. Like when it went to wherever it went to. Like they opened it and they're like, oh man, free vegetables. Or, oh my God, disgusting rotted vegetables. Like depending on when they opened it. Yeah, right. If it was quickly after, it would be one thing. But yeah. Because I I texted him one day and I'm like, hey, what happened to the butternut squash? And then I was like, and the this, and the this. And I was like, did you forget? (laughs) Like it just occurred to me. He was like, he just sent me emoji with the big eyes. Like, (laughs) oops. (laughs) I, you That's can't funny. be mad because the guy had yeah. two and a half hours of sleep exactly. and we hadn't kept like we had tried to empty the fridge mm-hmm. like eat everything and not replace it so that we didn't have a lot to empty out with but. his like sleepiness you're lucky you didn't just have like the cardboard box in the spot of the refrigerator well i mean <laughs> he didn't do any of that part <laughs> he had to take off the door so they could bring it up oh jeez. um and empty the fridge and that was that and then he put everything back in the fridge and he tried to go back to sleep but he did not succeed apparently (laughs) he slept well that night though anyway we're in women's history month we said happy women's history month at the start of this we want to talk about women's history month right we are on a big topic this month or this week and we want to share a little bit about women's history month happy women's history month everyone out there by the way yes we're gonna answer the question what is women's history month 
It is a celebration of women's contributions to the world. That's our episode. Thanks. Bye. See you next time. (laughs) No, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. We're going to dig into the history on the topic, including when it started, who started it, and what changes have taken place over the last several decades. Then we're going to discuss the role that the media plays and how we understand, honor, and celebrate the month. But we'll also touch on the performative nature of the media in terms of Women's History Month celebrations. Then we'll dig into the many issues that still exist for women, even with the advent of Women's History Month, including racial representation, trans representation, and more. We'll also address the impact that Women's History Month had on our society. We'll talk about the need to uplift the feminine as much as the masculine and the need to continue the fight for equity. And finally, we'll ask, how should we celebrate Women's History Month? But just briefly, before we get into our topic, let's talk about our own experiences around Women's History Month. I mean, what what do you remember about Women's History Month or what? how has that been a thing for you? So I kind of remember Women's History Month in high school. I mean, I don't think we ever like observed the whole month. But in history class, it was the basic retelling of the women's suffrage movement and just trying to get the right to vote. I don't really remember the conversation going beyond that, but I'm old and it was like a million years ago. <laughs> But of modern times, I think it's become more forefront in my brain, like within the last few years. Like my job typically was sent in an email with all the events, uh, student-led projects and such. And I know I definitely were like red on March 8th, but I don't know if I've done anything differently. Do you? I mean, I vaguely remember it being acknowledged when I was younger, but no, I don't think much was done when I was in school or that I've really done too much over the years in general. In recent years, though, I have seen more being done, right? At least in the university setting. You work in a university. Mm -hmm. I work in a university. And I've helped judge a Women's History Month essay writing contest when I was working at Hostos Community College in the Bronx. That was a few years ago. And my current department, I work in the Black and Latino Studies Department, has a blog where we highlight the accomplishments of Black and Latino women during the month. But I don't wear red. I don't think I even realized that was a thing. Like, and I think that happens to me every year. Like it comes up and people like, Mm. Oh, we're red. And I'm like, Oh, that's a thing that, okay. Yeah, sure. I don't know. So that's, that's me. That's my experience. So let's talk about it. So women's history month actually started out as a week long celebration in 1978, the educational task force of the Sonoma, County Commission of the Status of the Woman. That's a long, clunky title. (laughs) But they were doing good work. They organized a week-long celebration for women's history. It was held the week of March 8th to coincide with the International Women's Day, which started back in 1911. Yeah, the task force was led by a high school history teacher named Molly Murphy McGregor. The group visited schools throughout the Sonoma, California district and held presentations about women's contributions to culture, history, and society. Students were also invited to participate in an essay contest about, quote unquote, real women. I'm kind of curious what that might have looked like, too, especially from a 2022 perspective. They had curves. (laughs) Good movie, but (laughs) not not related to this. So McGregor says that she was driven to do this because she wasn't seeing the she wasn't seeing women in her teaching. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, she stated, we were trying to tell stories that at that point, very few people knew or even remembered. We wanted to write women back into history. Yeah, people loved it. And Molly and her crew expanded the project, starting the National Women's History Project. 
The goal was to promote awareness about women's history and their importance in the U.S. They started to look beyond the grades K through 12. They really just wanted to take it countrywide, right? So this group was joined by other women's organizations, and they lobbied for national recognition. In 1980, then-President Jimmy Carter issued a presidential proclamation declaring the week of March 8th as National Women's History Week. The women of the NWHP thought, well, this is great, but wouldn't it be cool if we have like a whole month? And then seven years later, they did. Nice. On March 12th, 1987, Congress passed Public Law 100-9. It declared that the month of March be designated as Women's History Month. And the president is requested to issue a proclamation calling upon the people of the United States to observe such month with appropriate ceremonies and activities. Wow, I mean, I I had no idea it was that recent. Yeah, like I was a year, if. Not even. Close to a year. Yeah, I was six. So the NWHP became the NWHA, the A stands for Alliance. They started creating resources for those looking to celebrate the month. So what goes into Women's History Month? Let's talk about that. So there's a theme. Uh-huh. Each year, the theme is chosen based on whatever's at the forefront of American society at the time. Recent themes have included valiant women of the vote in 2020 and working to form a more perfect union honoring women in public service and government in 2016. According to the NWHA's website, the theme for 2022 is women providing healing, promoting hope. This theme is both a tribute to the ceaseless work of caregivers and frontline workers during this ongoing pandemic. By the way, it's not over. It is not over. It's not over. Um, And also recognition to, to the thousands of ways that women in all cultures have provided both healing and hope throughout history. I love it. Each year, a group of women who best model the theme are honored for their work. In the past, they've honored women you've read about briefly in history class, like Hillary Clinton, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Coretta Scott King. And others you perhaps may not have heard of, like Susan Sean Harjo of the Cheyenne and Holdugi Muskogee Nations. And I apologize if I didn't pronounce that all exactly correct. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2014. She has been an activist for indigenous rights since the mid-1960s, when she co-produced the first Native radio news show. She's also campaigned against Native American imagery in sports, influenced museums to return sacred garments to tribes, and served as executive director of the National Congress of American Indians in the 1980s. Harjo was honored in 2016, and clearly for a very good reason. Right. So the women who are nominated to be a part of the National Women's History Month honorees represent a wide range of women's accomplishments and achievements. Nominations are community source and must follow these guidelines. Number one, her work and life must be must exemplify the theme put forward that year. Number two, the nominee's contribution should be of national significance and should amount to more than a single act or accomplishment. Number three, women from diverse backgrounds are strongly encouraged. Number four, nominations can be submitted for both living and deceased women. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I think we'll kind of address that idea of honoring women who have accomplished things versus Mm -hmm. honoring women a little bit later on. But I think for this particular award and category, it makes sense. Yeah. Some schools today even encourage their students to think about who they would nominate. While classrooms look a lot different than they did when McGregor and her group started Women's History Month, the goal is the same, 
to highlight women and inspire a future generation. But what are kids learning these days? According to We Teach NYC, an educational curriculum guide website run by the DOE of New York, they're learning themes about key figures, events, legislation, all related to women's struggles for equality and rights for the past 150 years. Yeah, these lesson plans include topics like Black women's activism and the long history behind hashtag MeToo, women in science, women's suffrage and the 19th Amendment, American women in wartime, and gender discrimination. I think Molly Murphy-McGregor would approve. These resources can be used from grades K through 12. They are optional for teachers, but they are there. And I'm sure you could adapt them for the college classroom as well. Oh, yeah. I think I love it. What does the media tell us about Women's History Month? So the media's response to Women's History Month seems to be less about history or a change, but like more about selling products. Capitalism. Mm -hmm. In an opinion piece for the New York Times titled Happy International Women's Day, have a sticker. Jessica (laughs) Powell, she notes the temporariness of the celebration and how they don't have any long-term reaching change. She writes, first, please take a sticker from our bank. Wearing the sticker is a great way to show that you are a woman or you support people who are women. It is unacceptable that American women make 80.5 cents for every dollar earned by a man. And this gender pay gap is particularly wide in the international finance industry, where some banks pay women up to 44% less on average. Wearing a sticker while walking around our bank is a great way to remind people for free that women in our industry should be paid more. By someone. (laughs) I love the wording of that. But, you know, I do want to say we're going to address the pay gap thing a little bit later, you know, but super performative. Like the idea of a sticker is is just like, yeah, great support. But like, what does that amount to? Nothing. But like we did it. So thumbs up to us. (laughs) We both thumbs up at the same time. Hell also mentions in her article one time when McDonald's flipped the golden arches for International Women's Day. I mean, it wasn't even for the whole month, but to be fair, this monumental occasion was not listed on the timeline of notable events found on the McDonald's website. But in 2018, the logo was flipped at just one restaurant in Linwood, California. So now the M was a W (laughs) for women. Yay. Or was it boobs? No, there's a thing there where some like psychoanalyst or something was like, oh, yeah, if you turn the, the golden archers, they're supposed to represent the mother's breasts and the f- it's Ew. like this whole thing. I'm not even kidding. I wish I was kidding. It's not like actually yeah. what they were, but it's like one person's analysis Ugh, of the topic. Yeah. It's a man. It's a man. Yeah. <laughs> He's just mad their milkshake machine's not broke. Uh, their milkshake <laughs> machine is broken. It's always broken, dude. Always. So McDonald's put the pro lady logo on a bunch of packaging, some crew shirts and some hats at select restaurants across the country on March 8th, just on March 8th. So they had good intentions. Their chief diversity officer, Wendy Lewis, stated that they were looking to highlight the women who have chosen to make McDonald's part of their career journey, but only for a limited time because they got a crew back out there to change it. Like like the McRib. (laughs) Only for a limited time. (laughs) Here for a good time, not a long time, the McRib. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> also equality at McDonald's. Here for a good time, yeah, not a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The hypocrisy starts to show when you look at the numbers, though. 60% of McDonald's restaurant managers are women, which, you know, is impressive. But only six of its 20 corporate executive leaders are women. And in 2015, McDonald's sued the city of Seattle, Washington, to stop it from increasing the minimum wage of its workers, telling its workforce, which is 62% female, that they should get a second job to make ends meet. Marika. Mm-hmm. The city was looking to go from nine forty-seven to fifteen dollars an hour, and they're currently earning fourteen forty-nine. McDonald's has also been accused of turning a blind eye to several sexual harassment claims. Sorry, ba 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 ba. I'm not loving it. <laughs> Can't with you, but yes. So, well, Mickey G's did. Didn't do their best job. Like, not even close. There are other companies that want you to buy things that tried a little bit harder. So Johnny Walker, the blended scotch whiskey company, launched a series called Jane Walker in 2018. They released a limited edition version of their black label that was blended for Women's History Month. They also donated... They also donated a dollar for every bottle sold to a female-focused charity. They backed it up with a promise to diversify their board of directors. As of today, there are currently 11 members on their board, and six of them are women. It seems the key difference is follow-through here, right? McDonald's plan was very short-term and didn't actually have women's best interests factored in. You know, it was nothing more than performative. Johnny Walker already had a history of putting women into leadership roles and helping them stay there. Women made up at least half of its 12 blenders. So a blender is basically the person who develops a specific whiskey blend using a combination of spirits and different characteristics. Nice. In October 2021, Johnny Walker appointed its first ever female master blender. Her name is Dr. Emma Walker. No relation. Uh, She was actually behind the blend in the limited edition Jane Walker bottle. I love that. She's a doctor. I wonder if she was like... A doctor of like chemistry or some sort of like Ooh, something probably. scientific that allowed her to come up with that yeah. blending. That's actually really cool when you think about it. Like all the science that goes behind like Absolutely. making something delicious. Yeah. Well, both companies were accused of pandering. Only one created a space for women to grow within their organization. Most people can agree that the goal of Women's History Month should be focusing on women, right? But there are those who would rather ask the question, well, if women get a month, When's Men's History Month? The answer is pretty simple. It's shut the hell up, Todd. (laughs) Relax. Facts. So here's why there's not a need for Men's History Month. And this doesn't include men in the BIPOC community, of course. Men have not been systematically oppressed for centuries. Yeah, We literally had to beg for the right to vote and even have our own bank accounts. Men have never had to fight for men's rights. Sexual and reproductive rights are being debated and stripped away from women every day, right now, as we speak. Men's history is celebrated every damn day. We live in a world designed for men. Men are the default. Women are the exception, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Things you wouldn't even think of have been defaulted to a man. So one example of this is the temperature in your office. So the formula for setting standard office temperature was developed in 1960. And it was based around the metabolic resting rate of an average 40-year-old man who weighs 150 pounds. So, like, Sean. Yeah. I mean, he's a little older, but... Like. And, like, as an anemic broad, this is not okay for me. No. I'm always cold. 
And think about what men are expected to wear in an office versus mm-hmm. what women are expected to wear with in an a, office. Like a, sh- a long sleeve shirt with like a suit over it, mm-hmm. a suit jacket over it. So like, of course, they're going to be dressed for colder temperatures. Yeah. I'm in my blouse my silky blouse i'm supposed to wear and you know like the skirt that i'm supposed to wear i literally brought a sweater and hung it on the back of my office door so that if i get cold i just wear it another thing is the top shelves in many supermarkets right they're too high for a lot of women to reach the average grocery store shelf is six feet tall which is weird because like even in this like quote-unquote traditional society you would expect that women are the ones Doing the grocery shopping if you're going to like genderize this Exactly. But according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the average height of a man in the United States is five foot nine inches. And for women, it's five foot four inches. So even cell phones are made for larger hands. And they fit in their pockets. Yeah. Crash test dummies. When they were first standardized in the mid 1970s, their proportions were based on an average sized, air quotes there, Mm -hmm. average size man. They were later updated, but they're only slightly smaller versions of the male one. So as a result, a five-star safety rating for a car or truck means it was highly rated for a five-foot, nine-inch, 170-pound man. After saying all that, we just want to like remind you that Women's History Month is a celebration of women. It's not a degradation of men. Unless men have an issue with celebrating it, then right. we can like fight in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to dig a little bit deeper, you know, like explore the flip side of this big topic. Women's History Month, it's a great thing to celebrate. It's a wonderful thing. We should have it. But I want to talk about some of the, the issues that have arisen from Women's History Month. And the first thing is, it's pretty performative. Mm-hmm. I mean, you already gave a couple examples of that, specifically the McDonald's one, though. Yeah. You know, but this performativity is something that we also see with Black History Month. You know, it's that let's show we're allies mentality. Ugh, facts. Did you see that Bed Bath & Beyond thing? No. no. It's Bath & Body Works. Wrong bees. Um, <laughs> they released like a bunch of scents. But it's the sense they already have, but they just kind of relabeled them in like kente cloth. Because it's Black History Month? Yes. Ew. Yeah, that's fun. Um, They're doing a thing. They want you to buy their product and they're letting you know, hey, we're for black people. But you really should just go on Etsy and buy things from like an actual black person. Yes. You can search by state. If you're like, how do I know? Atlanta. Mad black people live in Atlanta. You can find just about anything made by black people. Like, you know, there's a honey company Mm -hmm. owned by black family in New Jersey. Yes. They have Zach and Zoe or Zoe and Zach. Yeah. You can honestly just be like, what are you looking for? Socks, socks, black owned. You'll find it. Just throw that in there. Or women owned. Yeah. That's what I do. Why not both? Why not both? That's listen, everything (laughs) in my life, anything I pay for. I usually pay a woman or a black person to do it. And sometimes those things overlap. So yes, they do. Yes. But as we mentioned, what Bath and Body Works is doing, like that sort of behavior rings really hollow, like without actions to back it up. Some organizations and companies and even individuals do better at it than others. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes Women's History Month initiatives can feel a bit 
repetitive and performative. That's the the key word. Yeah. We see the same thing year after year after year. The truth is that gender discrimination and inequalities still remain, even decades after establishing Women's History Month. And these are discriminations and inequities that are still deeply entrenched in our society, even despite the progress that's been made. And speaking of deeply entrenched discrimination and inequity, we have to address the ways in which BIPOC women have frequently been left out of the conversation. So we want to share with you part of a statement from the National Women's History Alliance website. Since 1980, the National Women's History Alliance mission has been the promotion of multicultural women's history. We are and continue to be committed to the goals of education, empowerment, equality, and inclusion. We have always worked to amplify the contributions of black women through our programming and content. But despite our best intentions, we have not done enough to challenge racism within the sphere of women's history. In the past, we have failed to effectively speak out against racism in our collaborative spaces. We now understand that we must take action. We must make changes that support our black colleagues and black communities. To ensure that we are no longer complicit, we commit ourselves to developing the skills necessary to practice active anti-racism in all of our work. For too long, black women history advocates have entered spaces of research and collaboration that are guided by failed cultural practices that ask black historians to put aside their experiences and interpretations of the historical impact of racism for the comfort of others. Such actions contribute to the continued traumatization of black lives. These behaviors must be replaced by anti-racist practices to ensure that experiences and expertise of black women's history advocates are an integral part of women's history. So this is a good start, but there needs to be concrete actions that follow up this statement. Now, I don't have the exact date that the statement was released, but it was likely in late 2020 or 2021, based on the references to Sandra Bland, Nina Pop, and Breonna Taylor in other parts of the statement. So we'll link the statement in the show notes if you're interested in reading it in its entirety. Historically, white women have been the default when we speak about issues surrounding women, such as the wage gap, voting rights, women in politics, and even just Women's History Month in general. But this perpetuates the idea that other women, BIPOC women, are secondary citizens because of their race or ethnicity. And this mentality is divisive and racist and must be challenged. Noting these inequalities is an important first step, but there's so much more work to be done, especially in terms of addressing these inequalities that exist among women of different backgrounds. As Patrice Cullors, co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, puts it, when addressing the progress that has been made and the work that remains, she says, historically, celebrations of women were not celebrations of all women. Black women, black queer women, black trans women, black poor women, and black disabled women. Let's do what generations prior either didn't know or didn't care to do and celebrate all black women of past, present, and future. We also have to acknowledge here that trans women are women. We're not taking any questions on this subject. For so long, trans women have been left out of the conversation entirely. This is extended to Women's History Month as well. As Dr. Nika Denny, co-founder of Black Women's Studies Association, states when asked about Women's History Month, I see this perhaps as less a moment of celebration and more a moment of acknowledgement. We need to acknowledge the unique forms of violence that trans women face. Celebrations are fine, but celebrating doesn't mean that we've crossed the finish line. Yeah, I think that's super important to keep Mm -hmm. in mind. 
Now, there are other unresolved issues that we mentioned, and we're going to dig into them a little bit deeper. Uh, First is this job and wage gap. Now, the top four occupations in the U.S. in 2008 for women were secretary, teacher, nurse, and cashier. And these professions, while super important, have historically been quite gendered. It's not just about women being able to do the jobs that men have traditionally done. It's about dismantling the stigma around jobs that women have traditionally done and having men step up and take on those roles more often as well. And of course, even when women find jobs in male-dominated occupations, they still earn less. Everyone always hears, oh, women make 82 cents to every dollar that men make. But that ignores racial and ethnic pay discrimination. Yeah. Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, AAPI for short, make slightly above the average for all women at 85 cents to the dollar. Black women make 63 cents to the dollar. Native American women make 60 cents to the dollar. And Latina women come in at the lowest at 57 cents to the dollar. Now, we don't want to go too far into this today because maybe we'll do a wage gap episode in the future. And I really think we should. Yes. But if you're not familiar with it, we recommend checking out the story of Lily Ledbetter. So Ledbetter discovered that she had been paid up to 40% less than the men she was working alongside. You know, guys doing the exact same job that she was doing. So she sued but lost because the Supreme Court ruled that she'd waited too long, even though she didn't learn about it until years later. And while the story didn't have a happy ending for Ledbetter, in 2009, President Obama signed his first bill into law, the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act, which allows women to sue even years after the discrimination has taken place. Thanks, Obama. But that's one of those times where we really mean it. Yes, I always mean it. Another topic is voting history. Again, that's maybe something we can do a whole episode on in the future. So we'll keep it short for now. But women's rights around voting is a lot more nuanced than we might have been led to believe. Yeah. Yeah. When did women get the right to vote in the U.S.? Who knows? (laughs) Lots of people know. (laughs) (laughs) But the most common and well-known answer is 1920. Yeah. But again, this ignores race and ethnicity. White women got the right to vote in 1920. Now, Native Americans were declared citizens in 1924 and thus legally had the right to vote. However, voter suppression was very real even then. Asian Americans gained citizenship in 1952 and thus were technically eligible to vote. But again, the suppression was real. Yeah. Like, that's when my mom was born. Like, that's nuts to me. Right. I mean, think about that. Yeah. African-American women were unable to vote until 1965. My grandma had four kids, but could not vote. Yeah. And while literate Latina and Puerto Rican women could vote by 1935, it wasn't until the 1975 extension of the Voting Rights Act that those who relied on Spanish had the access to vote. Yeah. I mean, in terms of language and translation of ballots and ballot information, that stuff didn't happen until 1975. It was only in English. Was it do they just put it in Spanish or do they have it? Like, you know how it's like Polish, Russian, yeah, like absolutely. all those things it, now. It made things, it extended those rights to translate to languages in high demand in certain areas. And That's I know throughout wild. New York City, I'm pretty sure everywhere, like, because even Park Slope, mm-hmm. we have translators, a, right? a Spanish mm-hmm. and a Mandarin translator. We have that and we also have a... Hit Yiddish? Polish? Polish? Or, or Russian, I'm not sure, which... 
Yeah. No, but it depends but on the neighborhood. Yeah. Like what languages are required mm-hmm. and they have to have translators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did that for like three years. I was a translator oh. at the polls for you and your resume. Time. So impressive. Actually, I should put that on my resume. You should. Why did I not think of that? Do it. Stop this now. We'll be back. <laughs> She's going to put it. On I'm not going to put it on now. I will put it on later. <laughs> Extending beyond voting, we can look at politics as a whole. You know, sure, the U.S. has its first female vice president and the Speaker of the House is a woman. And we currently have more women than ever in Congress and in state government. But running for office is still way more difficult for a woman for a number of reasons. One of these is resources. Due to the lack of established funding and political gatekeeping, many women don't consider even entering a political race. Right. And we know that gender, race, and social class all influence our wealth and earnings, but they also affect the networks that people develop over time. Without these networks, many women who consider running for office do not have the backing that they need to win. Also, you know, emails. Oh, right. Her emails. Her emails. Yes. (laughs) But when you combine all these factors, gender, race, social class, emails, these Difficulties just increase. Mm-hmm. Supporting evidence of this is the fact that only three women of color have ever won state government and no state has ever elected a black or Native American woman as governor. Let that sink in. Yeah. You're thinking, oh, wait, C.C. Abrams. No. She got real fucking close, though. Yeah. Well, it all had to do with the reasons that she was fighting. Yeah. You know, to end voter suppression. As Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland states in a 2021 article for the New York Times, though we have more Native women serving in Congress, a woman of color in the vice president's office, and women making moves across the country, we still have to recognize that the disadvantages that we face are created by a system designed to keep us out. And that, coupled with systemic racism, makes Women's History Month all the more important. Love it. Beyond politics and wages and all of that, we're living in a time where there's a global pandemic and we're a hot mess in the U.S. in regards to the pandemic. Yeah, the pandemic, which I know I said earlier, but like it's it's still not over. Not at all. No. And it's affected women in ways that definitely has not affected men or at least not at the same rates. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a, a friend of ours. Well, a friend of mine, Carla, who hosts the Bed, Wed and Behead podcast Mm -hmm. and guests on it's a fandom thing which we just guested on recently um she recently wrote an article about what it is to be working from home when your child is forced home because of Mm. pandemic stuff and how in the first year everybody was so forgiving but like that forgiveness has really dissipated over the years and how that has affected women much more strongly than it has men Mm mm-hmm I'll see if I can get the link to that article and post it in the notes for you all. But the burdens that women carry have been heightened during the pandemic. This is especially true for women of color. Many women are working full-time jobs from home, supervising the schooling of their children from home, caring for elderly parents, and, and so much more. And while unpaid labor in the home has increased for all genders, research shows that women still perform most of this labor. Women were also more likely than men to lose their jobs during the pandemic. And while sympathies existed in 2020, the forgiveness of bosses for women working from the home who must also supervise their children has decreased. Yeah. And that's what we'll show with uh, Carla's article. Mm -hmm. 
Some experts are even concerned that the progress that women have made in the past several decades related to the workforce have stagnated or even started falling back. In fact, data shows that women's participation in the workforce has fallen to the lowest numbers since 1988, with over 2.3 million women leaving paid employment since the start of the pandemic. So as we celebrate Women's History Month, let's keep gender parity in mind. But like, what does this mean? It means better paid leave, maternity, disability, sick leave, etc. It means higher minimum wage. It means enforcing the laws that are in place regarding sex discrimination and pregnancy discrimination. It also means subsidizing quality childcare. It also means tackling student debt. Yeah, all of these things are connected. But how do we get to this? Well, it's more than just talking about it. As Angela Sisenya, the executive director of Latina Safe House, explains, there needs to be more representation and inclusion in celebrations of Women's History Month. I would like to see more actionable items from community leaders, corporations, and legislators that promote equity and equal rights. Actionable items. Mm -hmm. That's the key. We're going to wrap up with the impact on women. You know, and I think in this case, sometimes it's damage, sometimes it's positive. It, it can be, uh, it can be both in different ways. You know, one of the things is this idea of women doing manly things, right? As a society, we spend a lot of time uplifting women who do quote unquote manly things, mm -hmm. but not the other way around, right? We're only recognizing women who have excelled at what are generally thought to be masculine pursuits. I mean, we can see this when it comes to the names of the women who are frequently uplifted during Women's History Month. These are women who usually excel in politics, science, sports, etc. This approach to celebrating women is androcentric. In other words, it values masculinity over femininity. Like, it's okay for girls and women to develop these masculine traits. What about boys and men being encouraged to do these things that are traditionally considered feminine? You know, like nurturing, cooking, cleaning, that sort of thing. Yeah, we have long questioned what jobs are considered men's jobs, but let's take a moment to question why only women are allowed, socially speaking, to do women's jobs. I mean, this message sends that women's work is not worth celebrating. That's kind of messed up. Definitely. It, let's lift up the women who have engaged in traditionally feminine pursuits as well, especially during Women's History Month, but also year-round. This will help increase the value that we as society put in these jobs. That's another piece of gender equality and gender equity battle that must be fought. The fight is not over, right? The first thing we need to keep in mind is that the problems of inequality and inequity that women face have not been solved. But some research suggests that young women think that these battles have already been fought and won and that the future will just bring progress without any need to fight for it. Looking at the data about women's progress, particularly but not exclusively in the U.S., it's apparent that many women's gains have been stalled or have even been moving backwards. Yeah, sure, more women attend college and earn higher degrees, but the number of women in leadership positions has not increased in tandem. And in fact, these numbers are stagnating. In certain STEM fields, for example, the number of women in leadership positions has actually started to decrease. So then how do we teach Women's History Month? Well, the first step is to acknowledge all the problems that have not been solved. Yeah. We need to be truthful with ourselves and with our children that we've made progress, but injustice still exists. 
Yeah, we need to encourage ourselves and others to hunger for justice. Recognize it when it's not there and fight for it. History is more than biography. It's not enough to name a few noteworthy women this month. The same goes for Black History Month and Latinx Heritage Month and more. Only focusing on a few individuals suggests that the exception is the rule. That these particular women are worthy, but that others are just meh, whatever. We should tell the stories of the women whose stories have not been told. Lift up women of all backgrounds, all intersections, all career paths and life choices, and not just those who achieved so-called manly things. So, final thoughts, takeaways. So, I feel like we live in the past just way too often. Women's History Month is about honoring our history, yes. But we should also use it to take stock and shape the future. Mm -hmm. We should be moving the goalposts. So like 20 years from now, there are things to celebrate and to learn. I would love to have my future grandkid only be like mildly excited about the first female vice president because there have been three female presidents in their lifetime. (laughs) Yes. Uh, For me, it's about action, right? Actionable steps that will make true progress. There are too many performative celebrations and not enough policy change. Mm -hmm. We need men to support women, but we also need women to support other women. And we can do this by making changes that help all women and not just white women. Black women, Latinas, Asian women, Native women, trans women, and all of the intersections of these women as well. So as per usual, we have a few references for you that are sources we referenced for this episode, but also places where you can find more information. So you should really read the rest of the article that I mentioned. Happy International Women's Day. Have a sticker by Jessica Powell, written for The New York Times. Here's Why We Don't Need a Man's History Month by Kathy Cheng. Reflections on Women's History by Rutgers Faculty. Yeah, it's a great collection. I mean, there's so many different women's voices that we weren't able to include as part of this episode, but they offer so many different perspectives on Women's History Month. There's also the National Women's History Alliance Commitment on Anti-Racism. That's part of the statement that we read earlier, and there's much more to it. We also have How Do Women Feel About Women's History Month? conflicted and that one's by aaron spencer we also have the trouble with women's history month by maureen costello so what did you think share your thoughts with us do you have any suggestions of women that we should cover follow the podcast on twitter at big rep pod and instagram and tiktok at big reputations pod send us a message at any of those platforms or email us at big at gmail.com we'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode especially as they pertain to women's history month Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your women friends and your lady family members and the men in your life. Make them listen to this. Say that it's the least that they can do for Women's History Month. Subscribe (laughs) and leave a five-star review. And get yourself some Big Reputations merch. Check out the Redbubble link in the show notes so you can order any number of items from stickers to t-shirts to mugs and more. That's how you can support women this month. Yes, our logo designer is a woman, and she would absolutely benefit from you supporting her art with the purchase of one of our items. All right, let's wrap this up. You got a quote for us this week? I do. I have one from Molly Murphy McGregor. You cannot underestimate the power of a role model or knowing that someone else did it first. Female role models are extremely important. Absolutely, 110%. 
And as always, believe women. <laughs>